0: Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching it if you've chosen to watch. Um, I have a very exciting topic for us today, and an exciting guest. And actually, um, I'll just start with who our guest is because she and I now have recorded officially. This will be the third podcast together, because I was on her podcast. She has been on mine now, but then also my work podcast, The Frontline. That was also a podcast where Melissa joined. So let me let me give you a little intro into Melissa. Uh, Melissa Brown is our guest today. Her uh, educational background, so you know, includes a Master of Arts in Organizational and Business Management specializing in human resources. She has several certifications in remote staffing, adult education, and training development. Melissa has 20 more than 20 years of experience sharing her expertise deeply rooted in lifelong learning and her devotion to growing and developing people, which I think we all can get behind. She enjoys finding creative solutions to business challenges, innovating new products, and developing organizational processes and efficiencies. She's one of the top thought leaders in the nation on how to work remotely for professional practices. And Melissa, that is exactly what we're going to talk all about today. But tell us, tell us what. What else we don't know about you? And welcome officially to this podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So, okay, what you don't know about me is I'm also a mom of seven children, um, and I absolutely uh, have loved raising my children and being a mom, I was I got to be a stay home mom for 10 years um, while the first little group grew up. Um, which was wonderful and challenging and had its own set of, uh, of things, you know, as, as we deal with as stay-at-home moms who really want to be entrepreneurs and businesswomen. Um, but uh, I'm lucky because now I'm almost empty nesting. Um, yes, I have five of them who have grown and are out of the home. And so I have just two littles who are still here and they're very little, so four and five. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to be a mom and entrepreneur and businesswoman and really be in this scope in these days for remote work. So there's nothing more exciting than that.
0: That's amazing. I love that. And I i will say, I already knew this about you since we've now recorded three times. Um, but I remember the first time you said you had seven children. I was like, I wasn't shocked. I was just so impressed that you've essentially been able to do it all, because I think that was one of the things that we had initially talked about is that it's hard. I'm sure it's hard. I don't know yet from personal experience that raising one child alone is difficult while having a career, but you've managed to raise seven and still have your career. So I think that's um, a super, you know, you've earned all of the bragging rights. You're welcome. And also your podcast, which I did not mention is called Understaffed. So I'll make sure that there is a link to that in the show notes. If you guys follow me on Instagram, then you already know I was sharing all about that podcast that I, um, about your podcast, Melissa, because I was on one of the episodes. So why don't we jump into the, the topic of the century, which is obviously labor and labor shortages and labor and, and staffing challenges and everything in between. Right. Um, when, when we think about like the, the challenges with staffing today, what do you think are some of the, the biggest ones that we have to consider as HR professionals?
1: I think what we're hearing is I, I can't find help and then I can't find good help. I, I, that's, most commonly, I mean, thousands and thousands of practice owners have passed me in the last several months. I, I've been at uh, places where they are, and that's what they come by and say, "I can't find anybody. Yes, we're understaffed. Gosh, I mean, who isn't? you know and then and then they're saying, "And then when I do find somebody that I think is going to work out, they don't want to work. They don't want to work, so I can't find good staff. And so I think those are the two biggest, you know, most obvious. Uh, of the topics. <laughs> and so, and I say, well, you know, listen, we can solve that. You know, how much are you willing to think outside the box?
0: Right. Yeah. You know, thinking outside of the boxes is probably some of the best advice that we can give HR folks for really any topic because so much of what we do is very much in the gray, but I think that we, so desire this like black and white approach to things like we want to have some clarification on things like structure and we we yearn for that right like we create structure most of the time in our roles but actually it's like, okay, you create structure, but you still have to operate in the gray. So how are you coloring outside of the lines and thinking more broadly?
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. I remember somebody, I said, I really want to, you know, take my minor in human resources, you know, when I, when I go study in college. And I said, because it's so black and white. And this HR person looked at me and goes, huh? (laughs) And she goes, oh, no, 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 honey. It is not black. It is not black and white. And I'm like, but it's, it's rules. And she's like, okay, well, maybe you'll just have to get your hands dirty before you realize that there's a lot of gray. And and you just touched on it, right? Is that we want it to be black and white. We want it to be, this is the rules and whatever. But there's there's this gray in which we have to consider people.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. exactly. Because people come with nuance. I mean, like there is no black and white mentality that would work within this career. And it's so funny. I'm so glad that we can we can giggle about this now because I'm sure it's just like someone listening is like, this is really not funny, Tracy. Like right. I really need more structure. But at the end of the day, the structure is in the lack of structure, I suppose that you yeah. can, you know, of course there are those uh, anchor moments, right? Like you know, whether it's a handbook or a policy. But I think one of the coolest parts about HR is that we can, we take that anchor and, and then the nuance sets in. It's like, okay, well, what precedent are we willing to set? How can we color outside of the lines? What are the gray areas here that allow us to be more flexible? And that's like really where some of the magic happens in HR.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, altering and changing and moving as the times change. And I think that we're seeing that, right? We're seeing in HR that we're having to change with the times. We're having to change because the generation is different now who's entered the workforce. We're having to change because the times are different, COVID hit, all of those things. So now we're having to say, okay, great, this is this was our handbook. This was what we're working with. But in order to stay on the curve, we're going to have to change some things.
0: Right. So when we think about this coming back to, you know, some of the challenges with with the workforce and staffing, one of the things that I shared right before we started recording was that there's this article that was posted on LinkedIn a few days ago um, about remote job opportunities growing scarcer, and that uh, in terms of the number of paid postings on LinkedIn offering remote work, that from December 2022 to December 2021, there was a, a decrease in this percentage. So specifically in 2021, 18.4% of paid postings were for remote opportunities. And in December 2022, that number dropped to 13.8%, which is roughly five units um, or five points. And so this, you know, this concept, I guess obviously I should clarify that this is only based on paid postings for LinkedIn, but we know that LinkedIn is a huge source and sourcer of, of jobs and job posting. So what are your initial thoughts when I share the scarcity that, that th- there is around remote jobs today?
1: I think this is scary. I think this is very scary. What this tells me initially, you know, without digging into it a, a tremendous amount is that human resources are falling back on their old ways, owners, business owners, all of that. They're going back to what I always did always work. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to go back to that. And that scares me. That scares me because we're not, we're not following the trends. We're not going towards what this workforce wants. And so you're going to continue to struggle and you're going to continue to tell me you can't find good people. You're going to continue to tell me that you're still understaffed because you went back to your old ways. I mean, look at, I think we talked about this on your last one uh, on the last podcast is that, you know, these big, these big companies, right, said, oh, remote work, we're going to be, we're going to do the charge, and then they pulled back too. And I'm like, what, and what's going on? So you want to pay the high overhead, huh? You want to pay for that office space. So, you know, what is it that's causing people to do this? And I think it's, it's a, it's a fear in human resources, I think. Um, And that fear is driving decisions to do things that the way that they have.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I guess to double down or up the ante on this, you know, it's probably also a fear from HR folks in pushing back on other business leaders who might be saying, Oh, we need to have people in person. Because at the end of the day, this was the same thing that we heard in twenty twenty when we were all forced to go remote, which again, I mean, that was like a dream come true for me um, and for many people to finally have the flexibility that we wanted, right? But People were afraid of saying to other business leaders or executive teams, oh, hey, this is not what employees want. This is not what people want. And to your point, now we have this trend where we know people want flexibility. It's not to say that everyone wants to be remote 100% of the time, but people want to have the ability to decide. They want to have the ownership and the autonomy. So I, I totally agree with you that there is definitely a reflection here in terms of how people are thinking, do you find, given that you are the the COO for a company that focuses all about staff, uh, focuses all on staffing, do you find that um, people are afraid of giving autonomy to employees, or is this actually more so coming from a place of well, it's difficult to engage people while remote, and so we're going to take the easy way out and just bring everyone back?
1: I, I think it's several. I think it's several things. I think their fear is of the unknown, so they haven't used remote work before, and so they're afraid to try it because they're not going to be able to micromanage like they did before, or they feel like they won't be able to. They're not. It's not something where you can stand behind the person and watch what they're doing. So that that kind of fear of letting go, especially in the smaller practices that I deal with, the smaller businesses. Um, you know, it is the autonomy too. It's, are you going to do the work that you say that you're going to do? Uh, we're really lucky in our business because we deal with front, front desk staffing primarily. So front end staffing in businesses. Um, and so that's that receptionist role. And really when the phone's ringing, they're answering it. So you know that they're doing the work. It's all the extra things um, that we're really cautious to make really make sure that we're showing that they're doing the work. Um, and I think that's just putting practices into place. And we really work with people when they come in to say you just have to you just have to have another playbook. This is just looks a little bit differently than what your current playbook looks like. So now you need to put it on paper. You need to put that job description on paper. You need to have a certain set of tasks when they're not busy or when the phone's not ringing, and that just needs to be laid out. And we'll help you do that. And we help a lot of business owners really put those policies. And uh, what we call protocols into place into their business, and so really that's what it's about. I think that scary stuff can kind of go away when, again, they see the black and whites.
0: Hmm. Interesting. You know, as you were saying this, I recalled um, something that I read this morning in the wee hours of the morning that really excited me, and that was that Maryland is actually discussing. I think I, I think that they've put through a bill. That would subsidize employers who provide or basically enforce four-day work weeks, 32-hour work weeks without any change to employees pay or benefits. And so it, part of me is like, woo, this is amazing. Let's all move to Maryland. Um, the other part of me is like, well, if we're not even getting the remote work right, how are we going to get the four-day work week right? And how are businesses going to change? But one of the things that I really want us to weigh in, on, uh, weigh in on here is this concept of, you know, where where businesses or what maybe businesses are waiting for to make these changes. Is it going to be the government subsidizing or creating regulation like one way or the other? Or are there always going to be like those early adopters? I mean, I never expected this from Maryland. I don't know, just not what I, I would have like put my money on. But what are your thoughts in, on that?
1: I think people are putting too much stake in what, you know, the big companies are doing, or, you know, what their mm. friends are doing, or what their counterparts are doing, or what the community is doing. Um, again, I work in, in an area that they've got a very tight community. So if if their friends are doing it, then they're more likely, obviously, to try it out um, and and to test it out. So... I don't know necessarily what people are waiting for are are they waiting for a catastrophic disaster to happen in their business before they realize this can truly taking on remote work can really lower their overhead and increase their roi i mean like what are we that is my question that is my nut to crack all of the time is what are we waiting for what is what is Mm -hmm. the hesitation here we all proved it worked it it, it worked okay Mm -hmm. for every big business every small business it worked so why are we reverting back to our old ways and why are we not pushing forward and the fact of the matter is is i think technology and the world is is changing it has changed and we're either going to need to press forward or we're going to be left behind and that scares me for small businesses and that scares me because before they know it their business will close It, it took one catastrophic disaster like covid to close so many small business doors because they were not moving ahead. They Mm -hmm. were not progressing. And so folks, if, if you do have a small business, if you're running one of these um, you know, which is what under 50 or whatever it is, you know, you, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be moving forward your business and that's, that's in technologies, that's in your staffing. That's all of that. You've got to stay on the curve. So that means you do have to think outside that box of what we've normally done. And so, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to see subsidies, but folks, we can't wait on the government. We know how that works, too.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. We have to, we have to be the change that we wish to see in the world, right? Um, you know, it's so, it's so interesting when you share this perspective about, you know, putting too much stake in the big, the, the big names around the country, around the world. And realistically, I mean, this is exactly what businesses do. They wait to see what others do. And you can, you know, if you want to think about this on a smaller scale, if I even think about like retailers, this is very, you know, coming from retail myself, this is very common where you wait and you see what your competitor is doing. So even if you're working for a retailer that isn't necessarily, you know, a big named retailer, there is always that, you know, waiting to see what the competition is doing. Now with that perspective, I I agree. I don't think you can wait for the government at all. You have to kind of decide what matters and what's important. But what I think is part of that is for businesses to recognize that these trends point to the same thing. That people and society have changed. There is less of a desire to be, you know, so 1000% in work 24/7 and to really and truly have not just a balance, but harmony and a separation, which I think I've said on this podcast before that I don't know that that's necessarily existed or been a priority since probably before like even my parents' generation um, because there's all I know is this like hustle mentality to go 24-7. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's what I know. Uh, That was my parents. My parents both worked, 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 you know, and that's what I grew Mm -hmm. up learning and seeing. And, but my children, raising children who are in the generation that we're talking about, are absolutely not that way. And I know that my husband and I sit there and go, what? Oh my gosh, where did you come from? Because, you know, (laughs) because we're like, we're working on the weekends, we're working during the week, you know, and they're going... Uh, I just can't get out of bed. And I'm like, okay, just because it's the weekend doesn't, you know, they're just priorities are different and, and the generation mm-hmm. is different and it's nothing we did wrong as a, uh, as parents, you know, I'm going to just say right. because I feel like that, but it's really <laughs> just the generation in which they're raised in with technologies that we didn't have and, and opportunities that we didn't have. And, and, Really, we have to tap into that. We have to take a look at what they want, what their needs are, and that flexibility we've talked about before is very high. It's, it's even above pay. It's even above pay. You know, mm-hmm. that flexibility. What's the first thing you want? Flexibility. Second thing, okay, I want good pay. You know, but I, I really want the flexibility over the, the pay, and I'll take some, you know, a four-day work week over getting paid more or whatever that looks like. So yeah, we have to, we have to evolve with that. We have to move with the times and it's scary when we're, when we're not doing that. And remote work is part of that and technology is the other part, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I hear this a lot being at a startup now. I hear this from like, you know, people that I've connected with who work in startups as well, that there's this, um, it's it's so interesting it's like a paradox it's a the the difference between you know startup culture which is like you're working a million hours because you have so much that you have to get done and there's so much to do and you're just like grinding it out to get to the result that you want and then the other side of startup culture is like incredible perks incredible benefits huge amounts of flexibility um, but what I think is so interesting when when looking at an industry like technology or startups, we're seeing a ton of um, a ton a ton a ton of layover layoffs um, layovers. I'm thinking about flights. A ton of layoffs within this industry, and it just makes me think that actually most industries are much similar with each other than we're allowing them to be. Like, why should technology be this? most the, the most advanced, the most progressive, but also the the most intensive when we know that retail actually can be that way too and medicine can be that way as well. So I kind of feel like with one of the greatest things coming out of these um challenging times, let's say for labor and the workforce is that industries are realizing that they're not necessarily that different from other industries and companies can do more for their people if they just learn from those around them. Like why shouldn't the head of Pepsi who has done a lot to talk about why um, flexibility is like the greatest currency for employee engagement. Why should that be any less valuable for than you know, for a, a leader within like a manufacturing or a, a healthcare um, industry, you know? So I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm going on a tangent here, but there's probably some sort of value in sharing that knowledge across industries. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shoutouts and kudos, employee introductions, and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think especially what we're, we're talking about in human resources is, you know, is that you should be sharing that. If, if you see someone, it doesn't have to be in your scope. I mean, again, that's why what I talk about is so universal. You know, I work in a very specific niche, but what I really do scales across every industry. You know, when I talk about remote work, when I talk about, you know, those types of things that we can do and that flexibility and all of that, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it applies. And mm-hmm. that's not just in the industry that I'm I'm in the healthcare field and very specifically veterinary, um, optical and dental, but it it doesn't matter because you would never know that based on what we're talking about. You would never know that. And, and right. I talk to people all, all the time, manufacturing. We talked about that before. I've talked to a manufacturer. Why why are things, why can't we get good help? Why are we not uh, seeing people walk in the door and applications being handed in? We're giving away all this money, you know, all of those different things. So it really doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, you in retail, I used to be in the restaurant. I mean, come on, talk about mm-hmm. someone who's hurting for labor right now. Is the restaurant yeah, seriously, you know they never shut down, but it is a grueling grueling industry as well as retail, so uh, they have to start to to change the way they look at things
0: absolutely. What do you think about this this idea of you know I've been seeing this thrown around that it's an employer's market? Do you agree with that like I guess I saw this coming out of all of these layoffs that Because of that, you know the employees are not necessarily as much in the driver's seat, so people think. Um, But yeah, what what do you think about that concept that this is an employer's market?
1: I I I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, and that goes to the second problem. You know, is I can't find people who want to work, or I can't. I don't think so. I think it's an employee's market for them to go out and and win. um, But. So so that's one fold. But then I'm also thinking as I'm talking is that it's the employer's job to attract good talent. So they could be, I think they're in the driver's seat in so many ways, but I think there's a lot of people you can choose from. I could go to, you know, I could go down in a strip mall and probably apply the old school way. I could apply to six or seven people in the strip mall, Right. It's going to be for me, which one is the most appealing, which is going to provide the most flexibility, which is going to provide the best pay, which one looks the best for me and my schedule and my family and my life. So in that aspect, as an employer, you're going to have to be attractive and you're, you can't just throw out sloppy ads. You can't just throw out a sloppy package. You can't just put a now hiring sign in the window anymore and and think that that's going to get you the right people in. You're going to have to be You're going to have to put out some good stuff if you want to attract good people.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I agree. I don't think it's an employer's market because I think the moment we say that it's an employer's market is when we've forgotten every single lesson that we've learned over the last few years, which is that we have to understand what employee expectations are and employee demands. And you're right. Like I walk down the street and I see all of these hiring signs, now hiring, in need of right like inquire within but the reality is is that you know there are so many options for people even to just never have a boss of their own like they people i mean you take like influencer culture right people are making millions of dollars just sharing their lives on social media and many of us myself included i couldn't even imagine like that for myself i couldn't imagine sharing so much of my my personal life but People are making millions and millions of dollars doing that, and also still keeping people at a, at a distance, even just just by through consumerism. Like I, the number of influencers that I follow who just reshare like Amazon links or links to different things, and those affiliate links are what make them money. I mean, it's incredible, right? But my point here is that the entire like ethos of what a job is and where people can make money has changed. And people don't necessarily see retail or hospitality or working in the restaurant business as a necessary first job or even a job at all sometimes, right? It depends on what their passion and interests are. And it depends, I think, on all of those things that we know, flexibility, pay, etc. But it's just, it's so interesting. It's hard for me to imagine what the next 10 years will look like knowing that, Millions of people are making millions of dollars in ways that 10 years ago didn't even seem possible. Right.
1: Which goes back to your initial question, right? With the drop in through Indeed with the amount of remote jobs being offered. Again, why it's so scary is maybe we have this false sense that I can get people in and that I can just put the now hiring sign up that I no longer have to offer remote. And yet we're struggling. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not, I'm, I'm understaffed by one. It's now becoming, I'm understaffed by two, three, four. I talked to practice owners this last month and they said, well, I lost four people at once. That's catastrophic. That's catastrophic. Wow. I lost, yeah, I lost two techs and and a front desk and, and, you know, and whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's not good. They're like, no, it's not good. It's not good. It's, it's very bad. You know, so. At any moment, things can change. And so the minute that we get secure in, hey, I'm all staffed up, I always hear people, you know, not always anymore, but you hear people say that, and we're all doing this. We're all knocking on wood mm-hmm. at the same time because it's a scary thing to say. And I said in the restaurant industry, if you say that you're staffed, you're now you're one behind. You're never staffed. Right. You are never staffed. You're never at capacity. You should always be taking applications. You should always be looking and you should always be looking for the right person. I tell my my team that as well. Yeah, we may have the positions filled at the moment, but we are always hiring because we are always looking for that diamond in the rough and you never know when they're going to come in. And so I encourage businesses to do that as well. Always have that attractive package uh, available. Keep that flexibility if you want to attract the right people and always be hiring. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Retail does the same thing. If you're fully staffed, you are absolutely understaffed. <laughs> like, just keep hiring, just because you know that tomorrow's a new day, and you could just lose every single person. You just never know. Yeah. Oh man, the trauma. No, I actually really loved my career in retail, but it's you know it's not for everyone. You ha- and I'm sure the same goes in in the restaurant business. Like, if you don't have the stomach for the things that people say to you on your worst days, then like you're not gonna make it.
1: I know. Oh. It us back to trauma, doesn't it?
0: Yes. But it, it keeps us pretty
1: smart and how to, and how to staff and you're plus one, plus two, plus threes, you know, and right. have that mentality ingrained in our heads. So right. I think again, if a lot of businesses took on that same mentality and learned from other businesses, realizing you're not much different, uh, then they would not be in the situation that they probably are now.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Now let's like switch gears a little bit here. How does hiring impact all of this or how has hiring even changed? I mean, it's been a little while since I've gone through an interview process, um, but have there been like significant changes in, you know, across the, the market, the job market?
1: Well, for me, I mean, we do hiring, we're really staffing experts in the remote field. So when you do staff in the remote industry, I think it's different than what you're looking for in terms of how you're staffing an in-office uh, t- type of position. So the tools that you're going to use are different. The qualifications are going to be a little bit different. You know, you, don't, you didn't have to say in the past, hey, do you have a working computer? Do you have internet at your home, right? Right. Those things are now things that you have to do. You have to think about using things like Zoom or Google or whatever those are to have interviews because if you'd like them to work remote, they're probably in a remote location. Things like where should I hire from come into the the realm of possibility. So if you're hiring in house, you're looking five to 10 mile radius, five to 15 miles maybe. Um, When you hire remote, you can really look globally. And so that starts to change how you do things. And so all of those are different perspectives when you're taking remote into account. I think, you know, in terms of like what we were talking about, generational differences in person used to be that now hiring sign with the paper application. And now it's scan the QR code or you have to go through Indeed or you have to go through the website. So to me, some of those things have become more difficult to find those in-person jobs than they used to be.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting, I was thinking about um, some of the fatal flaws that I've been reading about on LinkedIn, for example, um, especially with layoffs, right? Like there are all of these thousands of people impacted by these layoffs, and they're posting really vulnerably vulnerably on LinkedIn saying, "Hey, I've been laid off and I've been going through interviews, and here's my experience. And you know, I read something really interesting recently i don't know I don't remember from where but someone essentially said that layoffs are no longer this like taboo subject and that people should feel comfortable talking about them and are more comfortable talking about when they go through them because it's not necessarily a reflection of someone's performance. And I thought it was really interesting, but then fast forward, I'm reading about people's horrible experiences with interviews and it's just not okay. And you know, there. of course, the audience here, they're, you know, they are HR professionals. I'm sure that there are some people out there listening who are not. Um, and we have an opportunity to really educate, I think, on what an ideal interview process is like, even if it doesn't end with a job. So can you walk us through some best practices and also fatal flaws that people should never, you know, make mistakes of doing?
1: Well, so it come from two trains of thought here. So of course, you know, go back in my original days of when I used to do interviewing. And then now, again, it's really in a remote position that we do and mm-hmm. kind of looking and asking questions that, that go with there. But, you know, I think, I think one of the biggest things is, is not allowing the interviewee to, to talk enough. I think for me, mm-hmm. that was always my big thing is sometimes we spend so long talking That we're not actually listening and we're not allowing them to do the talking. And what I used to teach my managers is is ask one really great open-ended question and allow them to talk. They're going to tell you everything you can and can't ask probably within that one question. And for me, it's always tell me about yourself. And so really in that, they're going to tell me everything. They're going to probably tell me if I, they have children, if they have a dog, they have a cat, they have a significant other. They're going to tell me everything in you, which we know HR, you can't say or ask. <laughs> right. they're going to get their, their entire life story probably. and And just allowing someone to talk, I think we're going to gain a lot more information than us doing most of the talking. I've been in a lot of interviews where they talk so much. I don't even think I, I had much word in Esway. So mm-hmm. I was like, how do you even know who I am now? And we're a mm-hmm. lot of times now we're looking for culture fit, right? How do you learn if it's a culture fit? If you don't allow an interviewee to talk, if you don't allow them to express who they are um, and you know, what's important to them in their life. And, you know, you're also going to learn what do you need to offer? What's going to be important to that person that you can offer them if you do want the job. And again, that's by determining if it's a culture fit in the beginning, if, if flexibility is important. If they tell you in the first five seconds that they got three kids, they probably want some flexibility in their life, you know, um, and or whatever that might be, or that their hobbies is, is no boarding on the weekends or whatever it might be, right? So the more we allow them to open up, the more we can then determine whether it's a good fit, you know, schedule wise, if it's a good culture fit, if it's going to be good Um, for them in terms of, you know, their living conditions or whatever that might look like. So I think uh, one of the big flaws that I've remembered from this long is being able to just be quiet.
0: (laughs) Amen. Right. It's true. There are surveys that I've sent out, you know, throughout my career, candidate surveys. And that is always like one of the top three Pieces of feedback like it, when asked, does the interviewer did the interviewer get to know me? And the answer is like no or disagree or strongly disagree because it's like a it's almost like a soapbox for the interviewer to be on. Now, it's not to say that there shouldn't be a sharing of information, but um, the whole point of the interview is to like meet the person, mm-hmm. understand who they are, what makes them tick, what they're excited about, strengths, opportunities, etc. So it's a really good point. And I'm sure, do you hear a lot about like ghosting and people not even getting like an interview or hearing back about their application to begin with?
1: This is terrible. I mean, there was a short amount of time, well, it's been a while, but that I put out applications and I put out application after application after application. And I wasn't even getting a receipt of application and through some of these big websites And I was not even getting a response that they got my application. And then if you did, you got an automated response, which was fine. At least I knew that they got it. And then nothing ever. And so here you feel like you're constantly as, you know, a candidate, you're constantly going, did I, what happened? And then again, going into the interview, okay, we'll get back to you. Okay, well... Most people don't necessarily have the nerve to say, okay, when, what day, and when can I expect the call? Are you going to call, text, email, you know, how, what, Right. Right? right? Okay. So, and then not holding up to our promises to do that. And I think, you know, we have to, Come on, we, we've got to do people at least the courtesy to be able to do that because they prepared for the interview. Um, you know, they came in, hopefully they were prepared. They looked at your website. They looked at your company. They looked at your business. They were able to at least give you some basics on who you were, uh, which I think is another key point. But, um, you know, and once they did that, and they presented themselves, they hear nothing back. I mean, come on, what, what does that say about us? So what if you wanted to go back to their application six months later? Because, oh, I really remember. I really like that person. Now they don't want to work for you. Mm-hmm. What does mm-hmm. that say about you mm-hmm. as a company? So, you know, whether they see you ever again, uh, word of mouth is big. Um, and, you know, you want to be upstanding in your interview process and what you do and how you treat people. So I think that's just common courtesy.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I always... Right. I always say that you want to return people back to the world better than you found them. And usually I say that in the context of when someone joins a company, works for a company, and then ultimately leaves, that you want them to leave feeling better than the day they joined, um, or at least the same. You want like a net-net. Um, You really don't want them to feel worse. And a lot of the times we see that people resign one way or another for something that makes them feel disengaged or disgruntled. And most of the time, even if they had a fairly good experience, there's always like that one thing that sticks out that leads them to go back out into the world, potentially with a, a lesser than view of the brand or the company or the organization. And all of this, every single thing that we've talked about today has to do with brand awareness, brand recognition, reputation. And it's in a company's best interest to invest in hiring, to invest in the recruitment process so that people are hearing back one way or another, whether they're moving forward or not, and for there to continue to be an investment within HR and the departments therein, because even though not all of that falls on h r and it's everyone's responsibility to create amazing cultures, someone does kind of have to lead the charge with that, and we hope that the people leading the charge within h r also believe in this charge right so um it's an interest it's just all very interesting to me this and whole it, bubble
1: you you go back to that right in in terms of social media nowadays and man, if people are leaving and they're disgruntled, your social media is, you know, is going to be destroyed. Your online reputation is going to be destroyed. And people are, again, looking at that when they're going to work for a company. I remember looking at some of um, our competitors recently and that was the first place I went because how are you going to know, right? How are you going to know if they're a good company work with? So I immediately went to their social media profiles and started to look at what people were saying about working Mm. there. And I realized... Okay, well, they're not so much of a competitor anymore because when people leave, they they don't like the way that they were treated, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so mm-hmm. the online reputation of this company was terrible in terms of HR. So we have to think about that again because this generation is looking at that. They're absolutely yeah. looking at it. Is it's the Google review for businesses, and and you uh, you've, you've got to be aware of that, and you've got to be cognitive of how that.
0: Yeah. I love Gen Z for this, that there's like an absolute lack of flexibility with an expectation, you know, like the expectation is set and you've got to meet it. And if you don't meet it, then don't even talk to me. And I really, I truly appreciate this about Gen Z because, you know, as a millennial myself, there was, I remember growing up, it was always like, Oh, you're a generation, this your generation, that right and i get it i'm sure i i'm sure i have said that about gen z before like oh this generation and they're trying to bring back low rise jeans we worked so hard to get rid of them <laughs> like don't bring them back right but at the end of the day gen z actually is transforming business they're transforming the way that we know uh you know work to be and what we know this in whole bubble to be and i i think i I guess I really, it's an ode to Gen Z because I really appreciate that there's a, yeah, just a a total, um, um, I don't know what the phrase is, but it's like a really sticking to their guns and not, you know, not reneging on what they expect from employers. And it's, I mean, it's so true that if businesses are not giving this generation what they expect, then they're, they're out. And the reality is, is that Gen Z is going to make up the majority of the workforce in just a number of a couple, a few years, probably five years.
1: Yeah. Yep. I I mean, isn't that full circle of the full thing that we're talking about is this is the generation that's in the workforce. If we are not adapting, if we're not changing, if we're not doing things that this generation is looking for and they're sticking to their guns, what is our business going to look like in five years? what's it going to look right. like? Uh, is it, is it going to be full of robots because we have chosen to, to pull the human out of our business? Um, or, you know, did we embrace the things that they are looking for? And in, in exchange, we got hard workers. We got people who are invested in us and who are going to continue to grow and move our businesses forward. And these creative minds um, are an asset to businesses. In ways right. that the other generations prior just don't know how to do, or it's, it's going to take too long to learn. So bring in these people for the asset, you know, bring in this generation for what they can contribute, and I think they can contribute really those forward, that forward thinking um, and that technology and all of those things. And really, all you have to do is, is sit back and be uh, meet some of the small demands, which is what we're talking about: flexibility. Well, right. Most most. Right. Today, flexibility and if you do that i think that you are going to get those good workers those people who want to work and want to invest because these are this generation are go-getters they want to succeed i think that's big again social media Mm -hmm. you know they want to be successful um and so you know that's that's still very much important to them so
0: yeah i totally agree I totally agree. Hopefully there's some Gen Z listeners out there feeling really good about how we feel about their generation because I totally agree. They are totally transforming business and and they're not asking for the world. They're asking for flexibility and it's what we've been asking for our entire careers. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and it didn't go anywhere, but then, you know, it, it, did, it did take a catastrophic event for it all to happen, but at the same time, you know, there are there are still a number of companies who really are behind this idea of flexibility and autonomy and so good job Gen Z we're <laughs> we're here to celebrate you <laughs> uh, I love it and I love that you have you have children within that generation too so you you know better than probably even I do because of this so Um, Melissa, it has been such a pleasure getting to speak with you on now our third recording together, but especially on my podcast, I really appreciate it. And I would love to pass it to you to tell the listeners where they can connect with you and learn more about what you do and and all of the above.
1: Absolutely. So if you'd like to learn more, we're at conciergeelite.com. You can also message me at Melissa.b at conciergealite.com. Come check us out. We do specialize in remote staffing and we really, we specialize again in the medical field, like I mentioned before, but we do um, have accounts in all fields. So this applies to any and everyone. If you want to just talk about how remote work um, can work for you, I'm happy to chat with you. So come check us out, conciergealite.com.
0: Thank you so much, Melissa. And I'll be sure to add all of that information in the show notes. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week and maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.